Chris Hawaii, how are you? I am here and I am amazing right now. I'm putting the zing in amazing today. I am flying around, super busy and super glad to be here, Colin. So thank you. Awesome, man. Awesome. Hey, um, just to double check because I, I switched my audio source. Can you hear me just fine? I can hear you just fine and uh, you can hear me as well. Yes, sir. Cool. All right, great. So Chris Hawaii, um, thanks for coming on the podcast. Do me a favor. Give me a little elevator pitch or whatever about yourself, you know, where you've come from as far as auto space or, or any space for that matter. Um, been following you on LinkedIn for some time. Um, definitely, you know, have appreciated some of the, a lot of the things that I've seen you, you know, put out there and um, have been excited to have you on the podcast. So t- tell us a little bit about, you know, um, Chris Hawaii and what yeah. Chris Hawaii means. Yeah, I appreciate that. All right, so I'll give you the, the, the elevator pitch or at least a short story version of it all. A quick couple of things about me. I currently serve as regional VP of sales for stream companies, uh, just an absolutely fantastic automotive agency, incredible tech, just been a fantastic place to work for. I've been in automotive for over 20 years, pretty much my whole life. Uh, got into it in my uh, early 20s. I think I was 21. Uh, made a bunch of money as a 21-year-old kid and uh, just never left. I've been on a bunch of sides of automotive, both in the vendor space, consulting space, and then more so than anything else in the actual dealerships from, you know, being on the floor, working my way all the way up to, you know, running my own store and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, I've seen it all. I've been in all ends. I've done kind of all of everything. And I've done it from where I started uh, in the, uh, tri-state area in Connecticut, uh, all the way over to working at some dealerships in Hawaii. Uh, Such uh, was where the nickname kind of came from. Uh, When I got back from Hawaii, there was four other Chris's or four Chris's in total at the dealership uh, I came back to. So uh, clients were coming in and customers were coming in and they're going, you know, I want to speak to Chris. And people are going, well, Chris who? And they're going, oh, Chris Hawaii, the guy who, who lived in Hawaii. So uh, I kind of got that nickname then, and then it's stuck ever since. And um, I know you mentioned that you've 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 worked on the floor. You also mentioned that you've you've run some stores. Yeah. So actually, my first opportunity to run a store was I went back to uh, the store that I actually got my start at, uh, which was a tiny little uh, Chevy Cadillac dealership in Connecticut. Uh-huh. Um, tiny, maybe 60 units, 50 to 60 units a, a month, um, yeah. little family owned place. So, yeah. Nice. You know, we, we have a couple things that, um, you, I think had, had made a comment on, on one of my posts, like a couple of weeks ago or a week ago, something like that. Um, I made a post about how many dealers are going to digital dealer in a week, which is this week, actually. I think it's yeah. today. You see all the posts, they're all there having fun. I'm jealous. Right. Um, well, you don't even have, so many of you are going to digital dealer in a week while well, you don't even have a basic digital process, for God's sake. Stay home, stop trying to buy shiny toys and get back to the basics. When I shop you, I get no call, no text, no email sometimes. Yeah, you're looking to innovate. You're looking for innovative solutions. Chat GPT isn't going to save you, folks. Yeah, um, and and I, your comment on that was what? Still using templated uh, emails from 2007. Maybe I should get Chat. I should get Chat GPT for my homepage. That'll fix everything. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I every single time there's a new conference, and not that I'm against conferences. Um, but every time there's one of these conferences, it just blows my mind how people are flocking to learn about the newest tech widgets and shiny toys. And, you know, I don't do it with the regularity that I used to, frankly, because it makes my head hurt. But I feel like it's a, you know, it's, it's uh, I owe it to, even though many times, if not most times, I don't know that it's received. Um, I mystery shop every dealer that I talk to just as, you know, Hey, this is what's going on. This is what's going well. This is what's not going, this is what's, you know, what needs some work. And I see a lot of dealers that don't have, I mean, like you submit a lead and it just sits there. Nobody contacts it. And yet we have people running around and trying to, trying to find new lead sources and new, new tech. And, you know, I see these posts 
blah, blah, blah. What do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And everybody's trying to get more leads. And it's like kind of the same thing that's been going on for a long time. I mean, when I started in, you know, um, the automotive space working for Auto Trader Publishing, I sold advertising, you know, to my dealer clients, put their inventory in the magazine, which also went on the website and um, listened to calls and realized pretty quickly that selling these dealers, like, you know, value added services, like banner ads and stuff. It was cool, but that's not like a lot of them were saying, Hey, I, you know, I'm not selling any cars from your ads and I'm listening to these calls and I'm, I'm hearing, you know, we're just not, we're not even trying. We're not trying to drive that customer in. We're not asking for the name so we can't follow up. So we can't put in the, the CRM. And unfortunately, you know, almost 15, 12, 15 years later, I still see a lot of that. So it just, it, it blows my mind that I see dealers looking for new toys and new solutions when the absolute, what I think, and maybe I'm biased, I am, but the absolute basic is having your front door open. Um, and the overwhelming majority of customers are coming from the internet, some part of the internet. Um, that's your front door. Yeah. So it, it, it just, you know, there's so many things that, blow my mind and and um it's not that i i i, I people have said things like you know you, you talk trash about the industry well i don't think i talk trash about the industry but i think that we've got to collectively those of us that want to be around in 5 10 15 years and be meaningful and have the latitude to make the you know profit that we want to make that we need to make um and not just be these you know pickup points that you know we make i don't know 400 a car whatever it is um, we've got to make some adjustments. We've got to question why we have like all these people out on point. Um, anyway, I don't know. I got all no, so that's a whole lot to unpack right there. Right? I know. I know. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna kind of go point by point for it, and let me lead with saying that one. I appreciate you as a potster uh, because it's needed, right? Like at some at sometimes, especially on things like websites like LinkedIn and stuff like that. Sometimes everybody is too positive, and sometimes there's a toxicity to being toxic positive where everything can't always be positive we do have to embrace that there are things that we can improve on and changes right. that we need to be made so you know i appreciate your stance kind of as a popster and coming on there and maybe being the voice of confrontation sometimes because again sometimes if we don't look in the mirror we can't realize this is the changes that we we need to have so just want to say appreciate you for that um so i want to back up to the beginning you know with conventions and, and searching after the shiny new thing and stuff like that First off, uh, I love the convention circuit. Uh, it's exhausting by the end of it. I can't wait to get home, but I love the people that go on the conventions. I love seeing people that I see all the time on the conventions. So I do personally love that from a vendor point of view. But as far as dealers going there looking for the shiny new thing when their thing at home is not being taken care of, I think that's kind of a... I think that's kind of a widespread human condition, right? So, you know, I'll compare it to uh, uh, a little low-key secret about mine is I run a record label on the weekends. I've been doing music my whole life as well. Um, and so same thing as a musician, we're always, you know, we're always chasing after the next new plugin or the nicest new keyboard or new <laughs> musical equipment, right? Or the biggest TV for our living room and things like that. Sure. And I think at, with that human condition, like you mentioned, we fail to really, one, be grateful for, but two, polish and condition the things that we have, right? We are in a society right now where everything is replaceable. Uh, when something breaks or it's not working, we don't really fix it. We just kind of look for something else to replace it. And I think because we're a society like that, we're really dealerships are probably really missing out the opportunity to make sure what they have in position now are working the best. And that goes to some of the things that you mentioned. I know, and I've worked at some of the smartest, greatest, best dealerships that are out there. And even they are still using CRM templates from 2007, right? Yeah. No one's yeah. gone in there and revitalized them or changed the cadence for when they go out. Um, and it's just got be, become very monotonous, uh, both for the staff that works there, but also for the customers who are getting basically the same templated response from 
all three to five dealerships that they've contacted. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a challenge, I think, for dealerships to one and, and, and before they go search for the new shiny thing, because there's nothing wrong with that, they should find the, the things that are coming out because we have such remarkable tech right now that can really, really, really help a dealership. But you're not, you're not going to be able to find out if that tech is a good fit for you if you don't have everything else in your dealership working properly or at least taking a look at what you have that's working properly or not properly for you because if, if dealers are not doing that they're not going to know what to plug in once they do find those shiny things right yeah yeah um i know you mentioned that you know you know you've seen dealers you know with, with templates from like 2007 never yeah. changed them um you know and i'm with you on that a lot of them are, are kind of irrelevant they don't I mean, a lot of them fire off those, they use those, you know, during business hours and that's, that's it. Um, that's a huge problem that I see is that, you know, if, if the dealer is even, I mean, I guess you almost have to, you know, decide which is the better of the two evils, you know, would you rather have a 2007 template process for, um, follow up or, or, or none. And, and I, I, I almost wish that, you know, um, when I see a dealer that doesn't even have templates you know, even after hours, customers just ghosted. They're not getting anything during hours, nothing. You know, if there's no, um, nobody on the sales floor to handle the lead or whatever. Um, I see a lot of uh, situations where there's just nothing, zero, no template. For me, and, the customer experience, if I'm shopping after hours and most dealerships and I'm, and, and I'm surprised to hear, but you know what, at the same time, nothing's ever surprising in automotive, uh, <laughs> that dealerships are still not setting up their after hours responses. And that's all automated, right? Because you can't expect right. to have somebody there 24 hours. And if you do, you're probably going to end up with somebody who actually doesn't work in the dealership or understand the dealerships in our workings. So I don't know if that's a better solution, but for me personally, uh, as a customer, if I shop after hours and I requested information on a vehicle, even something as simple as, is this unit still available? If I receive some sort of information from the client, uh, from the dealership saying, hey, thanks for shopping with us. It's currently 9 p.m. We're not open at this time, but here's some more information that we have about the car listed and someone will be reaching out to you tomorrow between the hours of X and Y when we open. For me as a customer, that would be enough at least there's something like you said, and they're not ghosted. Right. Absolutely. When they get ghosted, now the customer's wondering, well, did I put in my right email? Did they get yep. my actual lead? Uh, you know, and that's just, now you're causing anxiety about this sale process right from the beginning. Right. Right. Yeah. I shopped the seemingly progressive. We, we were talking earlier about, you know, progressive and, and, and um, you know, I mentioned how I, I kind of, kind of frown when I hear dealers talking about themselves as being progressive because everybody wants to say they're progressive. Sure. Everybody wants to say they've got a family environment or, a, you know, we're, we're a family. But, um, and, and I really don't think that, I, I do have an opinion on using that word. Like, I just don't think it, it the the workspace is the right space to be talking about family. I, I think that that's, that's a whole other conversation. But um, as far as that goes, you know, um, I get excited and I get carried away, man. I, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Well, with the um, family thing, it's a buzzword now, right? And, and I think we're seeing that because we have seen the decline of true family-owned dealerships because even the large family dealership groups now, which are now reaching 15, 20 rooftops, it, it's, you know, with all respect to them, it's very hard to keep a family environment when you're dealing with 10 to 15 rooftops, you know, sure. there's going to be some disconnection, but I think for the appeal to the client, to the customer, you know, they want to say that they're still family because, you know, that's, that's the American way. So. Yep. Yeah. 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 The, I mean, on the outside, you know, it seemed like this dealer was like super progressive and his posts are super progressive and we talked and we had a great conversation, but I had no choice but to hit him between the face and say, you don't have a process. And it just blew my mind. I mean, you know, like that's really just a very small part of what I do. I mean, 
in a perfect world, which it's not, a dealer already has some kind of a process. It might not be, but, you know, a 30 or 60 day process, and it might only be actually executed for day one, if that, but usually there's some process, but blew my mind, you know, and it always, as it always does, when I see that, you know, like, it, that's not like their number one priority. And I know when you're running a store, there's a lot to it. It's not just, you know, it's not just the, the variable side. You got a whole lot of different, you know, spinning plates um but at the front door to your dealership is 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 basically not easily accessible or open um you know i i just don't know what's more important today in 2023 than than the the customer experience and i know you know we were talking about that earlier so colin so so this is something i talk about often and last time um i did uh, a podcast that was the exact topic of discussion was you know, the disconnection really some dealerships, the upper echelon of the dealership has from what the actual customer experience or in your, you know, in your recommendation, the process is right. Because they don't, and this is something that I think is really missing and maybe they don't have the time or maybe they're not taking the time is really what I think it is, is that they aren't going through the same process of what a customer is going through, right? So if I work in a dealership and I want to buy a car, I am not going to a random dealership's website or cars.com or autotrader.com or car gurus or whatever it may be to find the vehicle. I'm just calling a buddy I know who's in automotive, who works at a similar dealership and saying, hey, I want to buy a brand new BMW 330. What can you do for me? That's the sales process for somebody who's in the business, right? But we know sure. somebody who's not in the business, their process is way different, right? They're starting on maybe a third-party site, third-party um, inventory site, and then they're going from that to then a dealership's website. They're going onto the dealership's website. They're getting attacked by four or five different pop-ups, most of which have nothing to do with what they're looking for. All they're trying to see is yeah. pictures of the vehicle they want to see. Meanwhile, all these chat pop-ups are coming up. It's not even somebody who's in the dealership. You try to talk to the chat. It's somebody who's you know in another country or in another building somewhere. They can't answer the questions. They don't even know what the general manager's name is there. They got to ask yeah. somebody else to get the information for you. If you get through that wall, then you can finally get to somewhere where you can look at a vehicle listing ad or see a, a, a vehicle uh, display on the website. You start looking through the pictures. Now there's anywheres, I've seen anywheres from six to 15 buttons on one single vehicle layout of things that you can do, right? So yes. it's confusing. Yes. There's the price there, then there's the e-price, then there's the special click <laughs> right? Right, well, which one's different? Why do I need to press a button to get a special price at all, right? And so I say all that to say this, is that the customer experience is so different and from the person who works in the business is that I can really only recommend to the GMs and owners and dealer principals of stores to just once a month, go to your own website and try to buy a car. Yeah, I, I so I, I was literally raising my hands to the roof when you were speaking. Um, yeah, uh, yes, once a month, minimally. I mean, you know, I shopped a dealer. I, I think that word mystery shopper, that, you know, hearing the words mystery shop, I, I feel like it's become kind of white noise. But I shopped a dealer not too long ago. And um, I, I shopped a dealer. What was it? Um, yeah, I mean, it. There was I, right, when, when I clicked on when I clicked on when I I clicked on the car and I clicked more info. Yeah. And the the button that populated or the the buttons that populated after I clicked get more info. Yeah. Was do you want help with sales or service? I kid you not. Yeah. That, that what this says is that nobody went through the process, presumably ever. Right. Of of what it looks like, what it feels like, what it tastes like to go through the process of buying a car from your own dealership. Again, it, it just blows my mind that, you know, I mean, yeah, sure, it's a little cumbersome. You got to set up a Google number that's not in your CRM and an email address. But I mean, that's like a three minute process. And then, you know, I mean, once a month, I would say, you know, definitely, I mean, that the dealers would be very well off doing that once a month, if not, you know, more 
regularly. Obviously, we don't want to corrupt the, the, the database or CRMs, but um, at the same time, if you've never done it, if you shop your dealership at nine o'clock on a Monday morning, um, you know, you're going to get one rep that handles that lead. It's not giving you kind of a full picture of what your team, you know, what happens when that guy's off, you know, does the team collectively step up? Do we have a process that, you know, um, on his day off, if he's sick, if he gets termed, if whatever the case is, if he resigns, the, the, the all of his leads just, you know, sit for a couple of weeks um, or do we, you know, have a process where, you know, in a BDC environment where, you know, this is a team-based environment and just because you're off doesn't mean that your leads that you're working don't get handled. Yeah. Uh, but you really wouldn't know that Important unless you're now. shopping multiple different times um, of the day throughout multiple, you know, times of the month. Not every month you're doing this, but I would say for these dealers that, you know, have never mystery shopped themselves, they've got to look at, you know, a month of data. Of, of mystery shops and that might require 10 or 20 you know mystery shops to really get a sense for okay we know what your process is or we know what your process isn't but what are we actually doing what's the momentum that we have or, or, or maybe we don't have um but absolutely dealers need to be looking at what that that process that customer experience looks like and and it hurt my heart when i saw that the button popped up and it's talking about do you want sales or service and it's like what like you're literally going to confuse yeah. the customer. I mean, it just between those no and four, four, 404 error pages when I click a button or I try to do something and, and your link doesn't work. And, you know, not for nothing, all respect to, uh, you know, these uh, dealer website companies. Um, yeah. you know, most of them try to do the best job that they can. Uh, but dealer, it's not cheap. And dealerships should be expecting that, you know, they, are pay- they should be getting what they're paying for. Um, yeah. And if there's things on their website that is not working either because it wasn't set up correctly or maybe a link fell off or maybe they've changed their process, um, they need to get those things fixed and they need to have their dealer website, uh, you know, get in with those things. And, and they're not going to realize those things are broken if they're not going through that particular process themselves. And really, it's right. not this is not an all day thing, right? You can go on your website and pick a random car and try to put in a lead and go through that process and probably spend 15 minutes a month, you know, right. if you're doing it once a month, or if you said, you know, a few times a month to try to get it, to get a check for it. And, and is it gonna, you know, is it gonna mess up your data? Is it gonna corrupt your data? Doubtful. I mean, you know, just from my time on the floor, we would get a, a Tom Brady and a Mickey Mouse and a Superman <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> all kinds yeah. of funky names coming in pretty much daily. So to get uh, to get to get one mystery shop, I don't think it would be a big deal. I agree with you that the term mystery shop is kind of, you know, almost dealers are almost insulted when they hear it. Um, yeah, you know, I try to say I try to say, um, you know, Mr. Dealer, I tried to buy a car by doing this, this, and this, and this was my experience. Or I tried to right. go through your buying process and this was my experience. Right, right. Yeah, good points, good points. So we, yeah, we definitely, we, you know, touched on, um, you know, how the process might feel to the customer, consumer, your customer experience, um, website, you know, mystery shops. Um, we talked about digital dealer and how everybody's going to that. Um, I know earlier today you commented on, um, there was a, a, I think it was Instagram. I just was casually scrolling through Instagram or, or one of the social media site apps. And um, there was an ad, I won't say the name of the company, but it was a national, you know, to your door type of company. Um, and they talked about uh, market-based pricing. And I know you had some thoughts on that. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting um, in that screenshot were the comments from the customer. And I think in that screenshot, I only captured one comment, but I post some videos from time to time on LinkedIn of things like TikTok videos and stuff like that. And what always amazes me is the conversation sometimes can go sideways real quick because somebody says, well, you're just trying to, you know, you're, you're misinterpreting this. This is humor, blah, 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 blah. But then, you know, my position is like, well, well look, let's see what the customers are saying. Cause you know, your opinion and my opinion, they're, they're useful, but the customer's opinion is kind of what's driving the market to a certain degree. And when you see a bunch of comments on a social media post that are not really all that positive, um, I don't think those kind of posts are, are, are helping us, but this was a, a market-based price. And I know, you know, you had talked about um, how you're pro, you know, for-profit 
why don't you talk a little bit about that and you know what it means and you know sure. what the difference between for profit and you know I mean, so this, your is interpretation. Kind of, this, is, this is kind of a you know some, some ice to tiptoe on uh <laughs> and and i will i will tiptoe around it a little bit because it's a there's no really simple answer it's a complicated kind of thing because we're dealing with social media and we know yeah. when we deal with social media there's always going to be haters on social media there's always going to yeah. be trolls on social media people love to just lash out negatively on social media and what better kind of market or what better target to lash out negatively on than car dealerships right we're already <laughs> we always already belong to a group of the most hated. So it's real easy to go for trolls and stuff to go in there and express themselves. Now I say all that to, to say that it's not unjust. Uh, you know, we still have 50 years of negative history plus that we are in the current process of reframing and rebranding and rebuilding ourselves. So um, I take the social media kind of, posts and comments with a grain of salt. I understand the haters and the trolls that are out there. Um, I do understand that a lot of it is just um, because a lot of people have had terrible experiences um, on that. So, um, so, so my perspective on the market-based pricing is this. I don't mind it. And I don't mind it as long as it's done ethically. Now, I don't like paying more money for something than it says on the sticker, right? Like if I could get a good discount and a deal on anything, I'm going to take it, right? Like I love, I love couponing. I love a good deal. Like I love a 20% off. I love a discount. Like who doesn't? But at the same time, when we look at like the basic principles of economics and we look at the simplicity of supply and demand, you know, I've worked at a Honda dealership when we were selling you know, $21,000 accords for 15.9, right? Mm -hmm. Because supply was high, demand was low, right? And nobody complained then when you could get five grand off of a brand new Honda Accord coupe when they were making them. Um, and so I look at the ebb and flow of it. Yes, you know, for since the pandemic, when we had all the challenges, pricing of cars went up. Uh, I would love to get a new car right now, but lease payments don't make a lot of sense for me personally as a shopper. Um, but I also know that customers can also take advantage of supply and demand when it works in their favor. So to sum it all up, as long as it's done ethically, it's done up front, there's no deceiving, um, and we're doing things without trying to be tricky to the customer. Because I think it's not so much to me, it's not so much the process uh, or the experience step-by-step step that a customer goes through that builds a, puts a bad taste in their mouth, but it's more a lack of trust. And that lack of trust comes from shady and deceptive tactics or lying or misinformation or stretching the truth and things like that. So I am completely against those things, but as long as everything is done ethical and upfront to the client, asking what something is worth i don't see anything wrong with that if a house is worth five hundred thousand dollars and you can get five hundred thousand dollars for it on the market you're going to sell it for 500 so of course absolutely yeah absolutely i mean i'm, I'm with you a thousand percent on that um <clears throat> there was a, a post not too long ago maybe a week ago um something along the lines of uh well i i had basically extracted something that i saw another uh person post and they basically said after 34 years in the auto industry, I can say most customer complaints are unfounded. I feel like right now we are in a weird place. We're, you know, and, and, and obviously we're not talking about the OEM situation right now, but uh, while dealers are, you know, struggling with, you know, their OEMs, they're also struggling with, you know, blaming their customers. I see many times for the situation that yeah, it is, it's bizarre. Um, and you know, like I, the number of people that actually chimed in and in, in, in on that post and said, you know, basically, um, most customers are, you know, I mean, like most customers that are pissed off, it's, you know, they're, they're just idiots. Um, and it's like, you know, well, hang on a second. I mean, we have kind of a tendency to do things 
I mean, I would say, if not the overwhelming majority, a good number of customer complaints when it comes to the fix out or the, the, the um, not the fix up side, the, um, sales the side. variable side, yeah. the sales side, uh, have to do with transparency, ethics, and, yeah. you know, yeah. that, that kind of thing, deception, um, and, and that kind of thing. And I know that we don't like to talk about it. And I think that it's worth mentioning that, you know, it, it's just, it's really disappointing. So first of all, again, thanks for, you know, I mean, um, what you said earlier, um, you know, I, I, I guess I am kind of a pot stirrer, but what and that's I see, me. embrace it, you know, it's all right. It's good. Yeah. I mean, but what I see over and over again is that are that the people that kind of are on the retail side, you know, it's like this pact. We don't talk about that stuff because we just kind of all know to a certain degree, many, if not most of us take play in some of those games, maybe not all of them, you know, but a lot of dealers have their own things that they do and, you know, different ones do different things. And, and it's only really until somebody leaves the retail side that they are they feel comfortable publicly sharing their opinions because god forbid you know we talk about that when when we're when we're there well i mean that you know so it, it's a weird time because i see a lot of of of, of managers or executive level managers and, and things like that or sales managers and gms saying you know well most of the customers that have complaints you know they're unfounded blah 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 um, and while they're fighting, you know, the, the OEMs, you know, they're fighting their, their, their customers. And, and it, I just don't, I don't know how we get to a place where, you know, so, we come back from that and, yeah. and create some loyalty with, within our brands and within our stores, within our groups. And I know that, you know, obviously we talked about, you know, just touching on, you know, what does the future look like? What changes can we make so that. Um, you know, for those of us that want to be relevant in 10 or 15 years, and I think everybody probably wants to be relevant in 10 or 15 years, but there are going, I mean, we've seen a good number of stores close. Yes. Um, I mean, and, and, and some really big stores, I mean, yeah. um, that, you know, are, have, have notoriety, you know, throughout the country. Um, and I, I, I don't see that slowing down. I really don't, um, would, you know, be interested to hear what you think about that and also, you know, what, what do you think we can do to embrace the future, to be relevant, to be sustainable? What do the changes in the next five or 10 years look like with EVs and direct to consumer? What's your take on that stuff? I know it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, I think that's the good news and the bad news. It's really a double edged sword to touch base on, you know, the, the gentleman and, and, you know, I'm sure he's a very smart man and, and maybe his experience is, is, you know, his own, and, and I'm not here to tell you his experience is, is wrong, but what I can right. tell you is that some dealerships have really great reviews and some dealerships have really poor reviews, and there's a reason yeah. for that. And, and, and as much as there's probably car Karens out there, and I don't know if we're still allowed to say that term, uh, <laughs> but, but um, uh, I don't know if it's, you know, frowned upon anymore, but I'm sure there's still car Karens out there who are, you know, wanting to speak to the manager for issues that maybe are not super important. Um, and those people do exist. But uh, at the end of the day, you got to look at a big widespread picture and you can't yeah. look at the anomalies. And so when I look at it that way, some dealerships have really great reviews and some dealerships have really poor reviews. And, yeah. and there's reasoning for that. And that's because of overall, and, and this is important. Here's a key word here. Customer perception. Okay. It's, it's how the customer perceived their process wins. Okay. Now there might be dealerships who are maybe not super transparent, but the customer perceives them as being transparent. And so if they're perceiving them as being transparent, then their experience is transparent and that customer is happy. So sure. Uh, so as far as things that are going to change in the future, I stand on the side of good, which is I've been in this business so long that I have seen it change a lot in the last 20 years for the good. Um, you know, and, I, and that's advent of the Internet competition now is super high. Um, and as much as I have my qualms and quips with capitalism, 
one great thing about capitalism is if you're not doing the business correctly, someone else is going to come take your business. So, you know, just like we've seen some of these huge notorious stores close that were taking business from people for a while, they couldn't maintain that uh, because of some of the, you know, maybe unethical practices that they, they, they were doing. So I think in the end, the best stores that are treating their customers the best are going to be successful. Those that are not are eventually going to get bought out or fall and close. Uh, I think it's just a matter of, okay, well, we know what direction to go, but how can we get there faster is more of the question. And I think the way that we do that is by one, it starts online. It starts with that first initial customer experience on your website, make that, very simple, very straightforward, not confusing, not violating. I don't want to pop. No one likes pop-ups ever, ever, <laughs> ever. So please get this pop-up out of my face. Make the process very easy for the customer. It starts there. And then once you've started that process and you've started the sales process for the customer, now make sure the whole rest of your digital retailing process is smooth all the way through. That means what they've experienced online is the same price that they see in the store. Their experience and things that they were told online are the same things that they see and they experience in your store. Now they're seeing the transparency. They're building the trust. Oh my God, he told me, had hey, this car has, I don't know, a little scratch on the back. He sent me a picture of it. That way, when I got to the dealership, I wasn't surprised by it. Now we have trust. It's going to build trust over the long term. It's just we have to kind of just speed up that process. And that's going to come from making sure that everybody who is still left in this business comes on board with that as quick as possible. Yes, 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 yes. Interesting, though, what I've noticed is when a store closes, um, I mean, heck, what? The off-lease only big independent group based out of Florida. Giant. Um, one, one, yeah, one of the largest independents in the country. Um, I'll level with you. I talked to the owners of the company and I knew exactly what they were about uh, years ago. And everybody's talking about how these, you know, this investment company bought off lease only, I think back in 19 or 21. I can't remember which one it was. Um, and everybody, you know, wants to talk about how they ran it into the ground. I literally hear about all these companies or stores, groups, whatever. Um, Sonic had a, had, well, whatever. That, that's not, that's kind of a different situation. But, you know, Brooklyn Mitsubishi, I, I think, you know, they, how many times were they in the news? You know, we, we knew what was going on there if you looked under the hood. Um, but nobody really wants to talk about after the dust has settled, when these stores fall off a cliff and they go away, why did it happen? We, we don't talk about the ethics. We don't talk about the transparency. We talk about all this other stuff, but that is something that I wish that we could start to talk about a little bit more because if we keep sweeping this stuff under the rug, I think that there's going to be more store and group closures. And, and I don't think that that's, you know, it's obviously not the direction we want to go, but I, I think if we're talking about the future, um, we've got to start to embrace that some of these stores have gone away quite simply because they don't handle themselves ethically. They, you know, are deceitful. They're deceptive. Um, well, people well, are buying things they don't know are, about. They dealerships, don't, are they so don't worried. dealerships are so worried about, uh, you know, what's going to happen. Is the OEM going to push us out? Is it going to be straight to consumer? Yes. They're dealing with the EV competition. Tesla is wiping the floor with everybody. I don't care what anybody says. Um, and so you've got to look at it from a customer's perspective, Okay. If you're the customer, if I can go buy a car online and everything that I do online is going to be exactly what it says it is, that means the price it looks like is going to be the price I pay, the payment I, I see is going to be the payment I pay, and I can do it that way without having to deal without any human interaction. Um, and as much as we love people and people say, oh, I still want to see the car, I think that's true, especially when something first comes out. But after it's been out for a year or two, how strong is that point? I don't know. Um, right. but, but do you want to go through the process where, okay, everything I know up front I can get? Or do I want to put a lead into a dealership where my past three experiences that I did this, they told me it was going to be 32 grand and I got there and it was 41 out the door, right? right. So, so, so dealerships are going to have to make a choice. Do we continue to do that? And we continue to push the client farther away and the client to want more of a transparent transaction, which they can get online, 
or are we going to start being more transparent up front um, and making that process the same as it goes through from the beginning to the end? Of How would a dealer choose that later of the two or, or that, that later option that you just mentioned when they look around their, you know, their competition and everybody. And I mean, I remember talking to dealers at the onset of COVID and when, you know, market adjustments, you know, were everybody was kind of, you know, trying to figure out whether they were going to, you know, get involved with that and how and how long and, you know, um, and now, you know, how would a dealer come to that conclusion when they look around and the overwhelming majority of their, their, you know, competition are either charging, you know, significant market adjustments and or, um, you know, maybe even claiming, hey, we don't charge market adjustments, but they do a number of things to effectively charge market adjustments, whether that means they're selling, you know, products and services that the customer doesn't want, doesn't know about, sometimes doesn't even get, you get where I'm going with that. Sure, absolutely. And listen, I've worked for those dealerships um, that have, you know, put on aftermarket parts and there's $2,000 worth of aftermarket parts on every car, um, you know, all kinds of different, you know, anywhere from a 800 to a, I've seen a three, a $2,900 dealer fee. Uh, at stores, right? So, um, you know, there's all kinds of different ways for people to mark that up. So listen, competition is competition. It's going to be what it's going to be. The best thing that we can do is educate consumers. And I think they are becoming much more educated to say, um, you know, okay, I'm glad that they're selling it to you for $32,000. Was that your out the door price? Just want to make sure. Right. Right. So we're just educating the customers that have the tools that they need to get the right information. And then also, I also kind of feel like a good deal is a good deal based on perception. So for somebody paying that 41 out the door is a good deal. Somebody, hey, I got it $1,000 under what they said. That's a good deal to me. Sure. Um, I believe that as long as the customer is happy, right, and they're satisfied with the deal, there really is no bad deal, right? Because you're going to make more money on some people, you're going to make less money on other people. And that's any business, any situation, right? So, so I think, again, just upfront being transparent, step two, making sure the customer is educated on what they're getting with you and what they're getting there. One thing that I am a huge advocate for is if the customer asks you for a payment, give them a payment. Oh, well, Chris, we don't know what the payment's going to be. Great. You can give them a range, right? Like, you can give them something, right? Right. right. Uh, nothing makes me more angry than if I'm shopping and I hear, oh, well, you got to come in and then we'll give you a payment. Well, yep. I can go to Tesla.com right now and buy a whole car and I don't got to go anywhere. You know, it's funny because I, I, I um, there was a post very similar to a situation like that. And, and, and somebody, well, actually more than a couple somebodies, there, there were a bunch of people that said something along the lines of, that's ridiculous. How could you start with a Ford and end up on a, um, it was basically a TikTok that I had saved locally to my advice device and, and posted on, on LinkedIn. Um, you know, cause it was really, it was interesting. It was talked about this customer that, you know, had a bad dealership experience, um, wasn't transparent, wasn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they ultimately went and had um, what they felt was a much better, more seamless experience through Tesla. And, and all these people were, were saying, you know, um, on the retail side, they're saying, oh, you know, nobody would do that. Nobody would do that. And it's like, oh, my gosh, like, absolutely. I'll pay a premium for for better service. And I might just consider a different product, one that I didn't necessarily originally fall in love with. If it takes some pain away from, you know, a situation or uh, interaction that I really people, don't want to have. Colin, people do it every single day. You can go to McDonald's and get you know, uh, a meal for $10, or you can pay $25 for it through Uber Eats and people do it every single day of their lives because people pay for one for convenience and two, you know, I might be an outlier with this opinion. Um, but I think this is, I, I personally, I find this opinion to be very true, especially for people 40 and under 30 and under, um, after COVID, well, shit, I don't fall into that category. <laughs> I'm 45. I'm under 45. So, but I, I you know, I, I, I kind of tend towards like, you know, I, I tend towards that generation to lean towards that generation. Yeah. Please. But social interaction is not as wanted as it used to be. Human interaction, although we need it, 
it's not the same. After COVID, people working from home, people going to school from home, people taking college from home, people uh, dating on social uh, apps, people are used to a digital construct. And so going in and always talking to a person is not always what people want. There's a lot of people who just have social anxiety, don't want to deal with it at all. And trust me, those people will happily pay a premium to not <laughs> deal with social interaction. So do you think that, I mean, you know, these um, CarMax, Carvana, you know, um, these one price, you know, shops, um, you know, do you think that the industry is going towards a Saturn model? You know, um, do you think that that's, you know, where we're headed is, I mean, uh, do you think that that's a one price model is, you know, something that, that dealers should be looking at or not necessarily? It depends on your market. Um, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Uh, okay. So there's, there's, there's some kind of pluses to the customer behavior that we've instilled in customers. And part of that customer behavior that we've instilled in customers is to negotiate. And so I think you have, you know, multiple generations that have been instilled and human condition to want to negotiate on price. And again, I believe the best deal is the one that the customer is happy in. And so some customers, even if some customers are more happy starting at 50 grand for a car and paying 46 for it because they negotiated down from 50 then paying 45 from the start on that same exact car right so what do you think i mean like ford and stuff like that how, do you think i mean they've warned their dealers over and over and you know allocation was was threatened it's been threatened multiple times you know do you think that they're going i mean in in, in what where does it become i guess for them egregious you know where where is a line drawn i mean obviously i'm with you 100 i mean if, if the customer feels like they got a great deal and they had a good experience they had a you know good presentation and you know they all they're happy with the overall um experience then they got a great deal um but what if you know what if any um changes do you see coming as far as like the oems cracking down on you know, profitability or, you know, going direct to customer. Do you also see that as something that's maybe not necessarily super, super probable in the foreseeable future? Or do you see that as something that, you know, they might give some more um, stipulations on what we can and can't do? I mean, Ford, for example, if I'm not mistaken, is their EVs are now 100%, they're 100% through you know, Ford.com, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. So there's no, um, you know, we've always seen this, like I remember starting in and uh, having, you know, brand new model cars, like, and then of course, like things like, you know, dealership gets in one Corvette, right? And so they're gonna, they're gonna mark up that one Corvette. That's always been part of supply and demand. Has it gotten a little, like you said, egregious? Yeah, it has. And, you know, there's some point where we have to say, okay, it's just getting greedy. But what I do say is that if somebody wants a car, they can search and shop the entire United States for it. So mm -hmm. with ease and have it delivered to their house for maximum two grand, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if somebody local to you is charging $15,000 more for a car than somebody in, I'm in East Coast, but maybe somebody in Colorado is, I can buy that car from that customer, from that dealership in Colorado. But what does that do to loyalty? I mean, you're never going to go back to that dealership after you had to buy a car from the other side of the country. What does that do to your condition, your level of conditioning that, I mean, like, that's the kind of thing I think we're already seeing customers doing, driving for six hours, or at least, you know, considering a, a, a radius that's significantly larger than what they, you know, previously were considering, um, and I mean, that customer is never going back to that dealership and we're no. already at a point where there's very little loyalty, both for brands, stores, and groups. Um, you know, what does that do, you know, to our continuing or the, I guess the continuing erosion of, you know, repeats, referrals and, you know, I mean, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's all part of it. And then, so where I think dealerships and, and, and uh, you know, we'll kind of wrap up with this over the next five or 10 minutes, yeah. but what, where I think dealerships have an opportunity there is 
really, and, 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 you know, here's another hot topic that I could probably talk about for just an hour alone is, you know, this is an opportunity where their service department now can start to really grab loyalty. Okay. And, you know, I love the service department. I have always been close with and found friends with the service managers, all the service advisors there, you know, those guys in the back in the service departments absolutely work their tails off and they, you know, if they're like the offensive line uh, and the, you know, of the, of the football team, right. They're in the, in the trenches doing all the work and they don't get all the praise like the quarterback does. And so, yeah. uh, you know, those guys that are in service department, probably the breadwinners for their stores. Uh, and really now we're going to have an opportunity to build loyalty and build a relationship with those clients, because even if the customer didn't buy a car there, or even if they did, maybe that was one interaction, but you're going to get, let's say you lease the car, you're going to get at least two oil changes, right? Most of them paid for by the, the OEM now sure. at that, at that dealership. So it's a huge opportunity there to build a relationship up. Um, so I think dealerships, we're going to have an opportunity there to do that if they're not getting that client up front in sales. Yep. Cool. Well, listen, I know we talked about trying to keep it, you know, closer to like 45 minutes or 30 minutes. Um, but Hey, I mean, you had some great thoughts. Um, I, I think, you know, um, good stuff. Um, enjoyed, you know, having you on the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, Chris, um, where could they find you? Yeah, absolutely. So it's Christopher Descanio at streamcompanies.com or if you can find me on LinkedIn at Christopher Hawaii Descanio, please add me, follow me. I'm always sharing great content, always having great conversations with Colin uh, and always looking to build more people to share content with. So, you know, please reach out to me. I'm happy to talk. I know you mentioned you're on another podcast today. Yeah. So uh, I have a podcast tonight at um, it's, it launches. It's a live on YouTube actually uh, tonight okay. uh, at uh, I think eight o'clock. And that is with the guys uh, that's with Jay, uh, and Jay Wurzberger at ATI. They're mostly uh, automotive transit. That, that's really where their roots are. But we talk about everything tonight. We're going to be talking about like SEO marketing uh, and all those kind of things. So, yep. He actually had me on um, his, uh, his YouTube channel, I think back in 2017 or 18. So I'll, I'll definitely check that out. That's uh, you said 7 p.m. Central, 8, 8 Eastern. Uh, correct. Yeah. I'm on Eastern. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks again for, for being on the podcast, Chris. Really enjoyed it. Open invitation anytime you'd like. And um, can't can't wait to uh, to catch up with you again and, and talk some more shop. Thanks for having me, Colin. Uh, I look forward to starting some pots with you online. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Take care. Now. Bye-bye. Bye, Chris.